You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Good evening, everyone. We begin tonight's readout with a Republican Party that's increasingly divorced from reality. They claim they're being silenced, but won't condemn dangerous conspiracy theories when they appear on national cable TV. They call for healing, but harbor extremists within their ranks and cover for them. And when it comes to the deadly attack on our capital, they just want to forgive and forget. Really? Unbelievably, the Republican message as we go to air tonight is that the Capitol insurrection that left five people dead, including a cop who was beaten to death by the MAGA crowd who chanted, hang Mike Pence and brought a noose just in case they caught him, all fueled by the former president of the United States, is that's just not worthy of an impeachment trial. Indeed, given the chance to vote yesterday, all but five Republican senators affirmed that they are ready to absolve the Florida retiree, who apparently is still their boss, of his role in provoking that deadly siege. Never mind that their own lives and the lives of their young staffers were put at risk by the MAGA lynch mob. They and their right wing allies say, don't worry about it. We should all just move on. Democrats are wasting the nation's time on a partisan vendetta against a man no longer in office. I mean, they they beat him up before he got into office. They're beating him up after he leaves office. I mean, at some point, I mean, give the man a break. I mean, move on. How easy would it be, Sean, for Joe Biden to say it is bad to impeach a president after they leave office? Uh, enough already with Donald Trump. Let's look forward. It will divide. It is like opening up a wound and throwing salt in it. That is not a healing process. I think it is retribution. I think it is vindictive. And I think it's a waste of time. And, and, and so to coin a phrase, I think it's time to move on. Uh-huh. But as we're learning today, these domestic terrorists, well, they're not moving on. Far from it. Today, the Department of Homeland Security issued an updated threat bulletin that warns of the growing risk from ideologically motivated violent extremists who object to the presidential transition and other perceived grievances fueled by false narrative. It says that they could continue to mobilize to incite or commit violence. In other words, what happened just three short weeks ago on January 6th could happen again. And Republicans still want to, quote, move on. And yet, remember Benghazi? There were 10 highly politicized investigations into that tragedy in which four people died, which spanned more than four years and found zero evidence of any actual scandal, even after 11 consecutive hours of testimony from former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. In fact, the final Benghazi probe took longer than the investigation into 9-11, which cost 3,000 Americans their lives. Then there were the Republicans like House members Joe Mo Brooks and Jim Jordan and Senator Ron Johnson and Ted Cruz. They sound familiar? Who vowed to immediately impeach Hillary Clinton if she won the 2016 election. Overweight for it? Her emails. 
And of course, there's the blinding hypocrisy of the old guard Republican senators who voted to let Trump off the hook yesterday. Among them, 12 were in the House or the Senate in the late 1990s and voted to either impeach or to convict Bill Clinton for lying about a sexual affair. And there's insurrection co-ringleader Senator Josh Hawley, who led the charge to decertify the results of the Electoral College, literally trying to cancel millions of ballots cast for Joe Biden, the guy with his fist up there in front of that crowd. Well, he has been complaining that his voice is being silenced, that he's being canceled by a liberal mob. But he's been delivering that message on national television. Sean, we've got to stand up and say we will not bow down to the mob. I'm not going to be intimidated by the liberal mob. I'm not going to be silenced. I'm not going to be canceled. I refuse to bow down to the mob. And they are just literally losing their minds because I won't do as I'm told to do. I don't answer the left-wing mob. And it's time we had more people in this country who stood up and said, I'm not going to take my directions from the mob. I, too, have been canceled and silenced by the liberal mob, and I will continue to talk on my primetime television show. That brings us to what is both a political problem and, frankly, a media problem. There are extremist voices inside today's Republican Party that, as a media matter, we'd actually like to ignore. I mean, why give them any oxygen, right? But these are no longer just fringe movements and fringe people. They have fused with the normal politics of the Republican Party. And at this point, they are coming to define the politics of the GOP itself. That even includes people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the newest QAnon curious Republican congresswoman from Georgia, who has embraced the same kinds of false claims that are fueling right-wing extremists. Yesterday, CNN dug up social media posts that show her support for, get this, assassinating the Speaker of the House and other Democrats. A newly uncovered post from 2018 also revealed that Green embraced the ludicrous conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton sexually assaulted a child, filleted her face, wore her face like a mask, and then drank her blood. I can't believe I just said that. Another video to emerge shows her harassing David Hogg, the high school survivor of the Parkland shooting, who was just 18 years old at the time of this confrontation. You know, if school, if school zones were protected by, with security guards with guns, there would be no mass shootings at school. He's a coward. He can't say one word because he can't defend his stance, because there is no defense for taking away guns. It's a child that she's screaming at in the street. Joining me now is Steve Schmidt, co-founder of The Lincoln Project, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for The New York Times Magazine and creator of the brilliant 1619 Project, which also sends the right into apoplectic rage every time I mention it, which is why I love mentioning it. Um, Steve, I, I have to... So what, what occurs to me, Steve, is that the problem with the Republican Party, your now former party, is not that whatever it is that is in their you know, ideas base attracts extremists. It's that extremists now compose a significant portion of their ordinary voting base, right? If they cut off white, white nationalists and white supremacists and extremists and people who might be violent, they're already a minority party. So in their mind, these people are, are constituents, the Proud Boys, these are constituents. To wit, Kevin McCarthy, who is the leader of this House minority, isn't trying to rebuke Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's putting her on committees. He says, I'll talk to her about the whole, you know, Fruit Loop stuff that she's saying. I'll talk to her about that. He said, I'll talk to her about those last posts. And he is on his way to go meet with 
his old boss, the former president in Florida, instead of tending to the needs of his constituents who need COVID relief. Am I wrong about this? The extremists are the base. Indeed, you are not wrong. Um, Let's look at this. We have an autocratic cult of personality in this country. And if there was an election tomorrow, its floor would be 40 percent. The leader of that movement is Donald Trump. We saw an incited mass storm the Capitol, rip down the America flag, rip down the American flag, raise the MAGA flag, murder a policeman, kill five people. We watched that happen. But that's not enough. You need the propagandists, the liars for profit on Fox News, Newsmax, OAN that have poisoned these people with their lies and their conspiracy theories for power, for for profit. But that's not enough. You need the cynical elites, uh, the people that had the country's greatest privileges extended to them. Josh Hawley, Stanford University, Yale Law School, was a professor at Oxford, a clerk to the chief justice of the United States, Ted Cruz, Harvard University, Kevin McCarthy, who told his members it was an easy vote. It was easy to vote to disenfranchise after the votes of millions of black Americans had been certified in the states that they would be nullified for the purposes of installing the loser into the executive branch as the president against the popular will of the people of the United States, which would have ended the American Republic in its 244th year. So all of these elements, the financiers of it, the people that have written the checks that have grown this movement, it takes all of it. But what it is in its totality is an autocratic fascistic movement. The Proud Boys, the fascistic Proud Boys, the white supremacists, the white nationalists, the people that the neo-Nazis celebrate wearing the Camp Auschwitz shirts, wearing the six million weren't enough, all of this, storming the Capitol. They are now in open alliance with them. It's part of the coalition. They accept them as having a seat at the table. They have fused this noxious conservatism and it doesn't believe in democracy. Liz Cheney at this hour is the conservative leader of the House of Representatives in the Republican minority of the House Conference. That's the Democratic Caucus. That's what she leads. Kevin McCarthy leads the Autocracy Caucus, and he's going to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring of the leader of the movement. Obedience and loyalty is all that's required. He remains in charge. Matt Gaetz, a key McCarthy lieutenant, has declared Trump the forever leader of the Republican Party and the leader of the America First movement, like its antecedent, like the America First movement that preceded it 80 years ago, that movement is a fascist movement that is an enemy of American democracy. We need to wake up and understand that. Well, and and the thing is, Nicole, I mean, look, Poland has this, this sort of, you know, regurgitating fascism. Italy has had to deal with it. You have the Marine Le Pen party um, in France. England has had to deal with it. A lot of they were behind Brexit. South Africa has remnants of this. A lot of, you know, the white nationalists who ran that country, a lot of them fled the country when Mandela was elected. But there's still remnants of that party there, the National Party. So it's not like this is that unusual. But what is interesting here is that this and it might be true in these other countries as well. 
There is a clack of very wealthy people who benefit from keeping that movement alive. I want to just quickly play for you. Um, here's Tucker Carlson real quick defending QAnon believers. Here he is. No Democratic government can ever tell you what to think. Your mind belongs to you. It is yours and yours alone. Now it belongs to people who manipulate people on Facebook. Here's Lou Dobbs, who used to be sort of a normal economics you know, commentator. Here he is, uh, also on a Fox affiliate. Think about it. I, they lost in, in 2008. They lost in 2012. They would have lost in 2016, and they did lose this year because the Republican Party forgot who was the... You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Who the real leader is, their true leader, their true leader. You have Rupert Murdoch, who has a whole industry built around this thing, calling rigidly enforced conformity, aid and abetting by so-called social media, a straight jacket on sensibility. Too many people have fought too hard, too many places, blah, 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 freedom of speech, freedom of speech. I mean, you have an industry, the Mercers, who are funding Parler. I could go on and on. Nancy McLean writes about this in Democracy in Chains. Aren't we trapped in this vicious cycle, Nicole? Because there are people who truly believe it, and then there are people who make money off it. Absolutely. And I just have to say, this is not new in the Republican Party. I have only ever known in my entire life this Republican Party. Ronald Reagan starts his campaign in Neshoba County on states' rights. Neshoba County, of course, is where three civil rights workers were murdered fighting for Black people to have voting rights and democracy in Mississippi. This is the party of the Willie Horton ad. This is the party of Mitch McConnell posing in front of a Confederate flag. It's the party of birtherism of the Muslim um, ban of accusing uh, Barack Obama of being a Muslim. It's the party of voter suppression. So I, I'm I'm somewhat, I won't say shocked, but it, it is interesting to watch all of the people trying to now separate themselves from that element of the Republican Party. That's been the only Republican Party I have ever known, and I'm 44 years old. There's always been an acceptance of that um, fringe element, of that uh, white resentment politics, as necessary. And that's not saying every Republican was racist, but they certainly were willing to overlook racism or get in bed with racists to pass whatever larger agenda that they were interested in. So we shouldn't be surprised about being here. If you look at uh, back in the 1960s, the KKK and the White Citizens Council were after the same thing. The White Citizens Council, however, got upset when the KKK would get so violent that it would bring down heat and kind of uh, no longer allow that plausible deniability. That's where we are right now. What we saw on 
January 6th, what Donald Trump has done is he's removed that veneer of respectability from a party that has long been the party of white resentment, that has long signaled white resentment. Um, so this is this is what we have now. And this is a party that is not sought to expand democracy. That is, uh, again, I'm 44 years old, as long as I can remember, sought to restrict democracy, uh, sought to pass voter suppression laws, sought to make voting more difficult for black people, for brown people. So what we saw with this election, now this distancing and saying, oh, now we see this party trying to overturn black voters. That happened uh, under Obama. That happened in 2016. That happened with Shelby. Um, this is not new. Well, and, you know, and the thing is, and first, let's fake news. You're not 44. I don't believe you. Um, uh, black don't crack. Uh, the other thing we will we will uh, <laughs> disclose again this evening. But, you know, Stuart, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm calling you Stuart because I want to mention Stuart. Steve, we've had this conversation back and forth. I have with 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 uh, friends by the Republicans. This is the creep. Right. I mean, I, I mean, Nicole's absolutely right. Twelve years after after the death of MLK, after the death of MLK, that's when Reagan did his state's rights speech. That was a dozen years after King was dead. And, and the Democrats have had this, too, in the past. Full disclosure, Democrats used to have them in their party. And this white interests party politics has jumped from the Dixiecrats into the GOP. And someone like Reagan, who was smart about politics, was like, I need those people. You're right. There are moments when the parties have each said, I need those people. Isn't this just sort of the natural outgrowth of saying we're not going to cut those people off? Because even the QAnoners, they get us to a plurality. We're keeping them. Well, I think that it's unfair to compare Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump and to impose Ronald Reagan into this moment in time. I think that that announcement in Mississippi and I think that other aspects are a shame on his legacy when it comes to race relations. But the, the fact of the matter is, is in this moment in time, it is not the case that it has ever happened before what happened on the night of January 6th. Even at the height of Jim Crow, there was never an action by the United States Congress to assert a power that after the fact, after votes are counted in a certified election, and those were largely black votes, that those votes can be discarded, that they can be nullified by a vote of the Congress. That's the principle that 147 white members rose in defense of. And that's the well, question. That yeah, and we're, we're right? No, you're that's absolutely right. But here, okay, we are out of time, but it's, it's a great debate. But I would, I would argue that we've had moments like that in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've had moments like that in North Carolina. For black folks, We've had moments like that going all the way back to when we finally struggled and got the right to vote. But I do think that it is fair to say that Donald Trump took it to a different level and turned it into a cult. I don't think there's ever been a cult of personality like Trump. I think we can all agree on that. Um, but it's a great conversation. I think we need to keep having it. Steve Schmidt, Nicole Hannah-Jones, thank you both. Really appreciate you. And up next, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, speaking of the guy who stood in front of the Confederate flag and is like, ah, I love Dr. King at some point. He took a long, long time to admit that Joe Biden won the election a long time. Now he's doing his level best to block everything that 81 million Americans voted for. So what does that mean for the Biden agenda? Former Senate Majority Leader, I'm so excited about this, Harry Reid himself joins me next. Plus, Florida's COVID disaster, its vaccine rollout infested with inequity and incompetence. We will ask what's a guana? 
when the Miami-Dade mayor, Dr. Ashby, and Uncle Luke himself join the readout. Don't go anywhere. The Democrats control uh, control both houses of Congress as well as the White House, which should, in theory, allow President Biden to advance his legislative priorities of getting another $1,400 into your bank account as the pandemic rages on. Well, not so fast. For the Democrats to enact their agenda on, say, the economy or health care or climate change, they have to get the Republicans to limit their use of the filibuster, the 60-vote supermajority requirement to move most legislation. One grim reaper stands in their way, proving that a slow walker never changes his shell. If the Democratic majority were to attack the filibuster, they would guarantee themselves immediate chaos. Destroying the filibuster would drain comedy and consent from this body to a degree that would be unparalleled in living memory. Joining me now is former senator and former Senate majority leader, Harry Reid of Nevada, who I would argue, I'm not biased because of his last name, is one of the greatest Senate majority leaders that we have ever had. Senator, thank you so much for being here. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So your um, former deputy chief of staff, Adam Gentleson, of whom I'm a big fan, he wrote uh, in The New York Times that the supermajority threshold now associated with the filibuster emerged in the Jim Crow era when Southern senators used it to stop civil rights and only civil rights legislation. That happens to be true. The clinging to the filibuster by this particular Southern senator, Mitch McConnell, in your view, is there anything about it that is honestly about moderating legislation or is he just playing games? You dealt with him. Is he just playing games to try to destroy the presidency of whatever Democrat is in office? Mitch McConnell got the name Grim Reaper because he deserved it. He is somebody who has killed so much legislation. He's turned the Senate into a manufacturing site for judges. That's all they did during the time that he was in power. It is too bad. I think it is. And I have written op-ed pieces. I let anyone that will listen to me, I tell them that not a question if the filibuster is going to go away. It's only a question when it's going to go away. You cannot have a democracy that takes 60% of the vote to get anything done. The filibuster is going to go away. It is nothing that helps the country, doesn't help states, doesn't help individuals. It is on its way out. It's a question of when it goes. And you did take action as Senate Majority Leader to nuke the filibuster, at least for um, the, the, cab- I mean, the cabinet nominees for President Obama were being held up. They were holding up judges at the at the federal level. They were holding up everything. You nuked it for everything Joy, except we, Supreme Court justices. And then they, they filibustered for the first time in the history of the country, the Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense was it. Republican Senator Chuck Hagel from Nebraska. They filibusted everything they could, including they couldn't go after the unions head on, so they went after the National Labor Relations Board. So the reason I 
changed the rules with the help of my Democratic caucus is because it's the only way we could get it done. As a result of that, Obama's first term as a president during a, one of the Congress, his first Congress, it is the most successful Congress in the history of the country. Had we not done that, we would not have Obamacare. We would not have the most important and clear-cut change in Wall Street in the history of the country, the Dodd-Frank bill. We did Lily Ledbetter to put women pay, being paid the same as men. We did Great Lands bill. So uh, I, I, people said, Reed shouldn't have done that. I did that because it was good for the country. And as I look back, one of the best yeah. things I ever did. And to show how how shallow the Republicans are, what did they do the first? I had it so that it took a supermajority to, to approve of Supreme Court justice. First chance they get, they re- reduced it to a simple majority. So they are insincere. Yeah. And the Grim Reaper has his name that he deserves. Would you recommend that Democrats push to add two more states um, so that they have more voting power, meaning Puerto Rico, if they vote for it, and um, the District of Columbia? Joy, I have been, when I first came to the Senate, those many, many decades ago, I was, I stated publicly that I was in favor of D.C. becoming a state. Uh, And as years went on, I said, I have no problem with Puerto Rico being a state, but I've been for statehood for D.C., forever. And how can we as a country have the federal enclave treated differently than the other 50 states? It's not it's not right. Yeah, you when you presided over the United States Senate, um, there was a Tea Party that came along as a result, in my view, of the black president being in the White House. There was a lot of race uh, mixed up in that. Now it's QAnon and really bizarre people um, that the Republican Party is beholden to. What would you do? How would you deal with a Republican Party that's got that and insurrectionists in it if you were uh, majority leader now? Well, you know, the uh, when Obama was elected, McConnell and his Republicans met together and they came up with two things. Number one, Obama would never serve a second term. They failed miserably at that. The second thing they decided to do is oppose everything that he tried to do. And they they stuck with that, that's for sure. And as a result of that, we had to change the rules. I'm so happy we did. As a result of that, Barack Obama will go down as having the most successful Congress in the history of the country. Barack Obama changed the world, and I'm glad that I had a little bit to do to help him do that. I think you had more than a little bit to do with it, Senator. My final question. So if you had a vote, you'd say nuke the whole filibuster right now. Filibusters going away. It's not a question if, it's a question when. The filibuster is non-democratic. It has been reused to the disarray of the Congress. And certainly it hasn't been anything that has been helpful to the American people. It's got to go. Former Senator Harry Reid, making it plain as always. We miss you uh, out here in public life, sir. Thank you very much. We really, really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. And still ahead. That was a a great man right there. Uh, Still ahead, the state of Florida provides a chilling example of how the COVID crisis should not be handled. Oh, you're going to want to see this. We're talking Florida. Don't go anywhere.
In a reversal from the previous administration, Americans are once again hearing from the country's top health experts on the fight against the pandemic. The White House COVID response team held its first public briefing this morning, promoting their efforts to expedite vaccinations while warning that the crisis could get worse before it gets better. Our case rates remain extraordinarily high, and now is the time to remain vigilant. If we continue on the current trajectory, the CDC most recent national ensemble forecasts predicts that 479,000 to 514,000 COVID-19 deaths will be reported by February 20th, 2021. We are taking action to increase supply and increase capacity. But even so, it will be months before everyone who wants a vaccine will be able to get one. And with no prior national strategy, the vaccine rollout has proven to be a challenge across the country. And of course, if you are Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, well, then according to him, you've done everything perfect, everything right. And the only problem is coming from the federal government, at least now that it's in the hands of Democrats. Well, that doesn't explain why the rollout there included hundreds of senior citizens sleeping outside overnight in lines hoping for a vaccine. Thousands of Floridians across the state finding their vaccine appointments canceled and at least one Florida nursing home choosing to give doses meant for its residents to wealthy donors instead. And while Florida has administered nearly one and a half million vaccinations, when you break down the numbers of who has actually been vaccinated, it shows the cruel truth of the racial inequity that DeSantis has allowed in that state. And that is next. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is calling his state's vaccination efforts a big success with almost a million and a half doses administered. What he fails to acknowledge is that only 73,000 of those doses were administered to black Floridians. That's less than 5% of vaccines going to a demographic that makes up 17% of the state population. DeSantis has also applauded his partnership with supermarket chain Publix. But of the 20 counties with public stores that are administering the vaccine, 16 of them have a larger percentage of white population compared to the state as a whole. In only three of those counties is the black population larger. Joining me now is Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava of Miami-Dade County, Dr. Bernard Ashby, friend of the show and Miami-Dade's vascular cardiologist and Florida State lead for the Committee to Protect Medicare, and Luther Campbell, legendary hip-hop icon, entrepreneur, and founder of Luke Records, who gave us the incomparable rap group, the two live crew. Thank you all for being here. Um, I want to start with you, Madam Mayor. Miami-Dade County has had oh, you know, nearly 162,000 vaccinations, but only 10,620 of those have been have been black Miami-Dade residents. And I want to, get to uh, alert you to this Miami Herald headline. Miami-Dade's wealthiest zip codes are also the most vaccinated for COVID-19. Only a few neighborhoods have vaccination rates above 10 percent, and each of them are among the county's 20 wealthiest zip code. What's going on? So the majority of this uh, vaccination is going on at state-run sites. Only a small percentage has come directly to the county. And Jackson Memorial Hospital, which is one of the state sites, has launched a specific effort to uh, eradicate that difference. And they've moved up to about 11 percent of the vaccinated people and they're heading to 17 percent, which is our countywide population. So we've been working with them on identifying community organizations, church groups, 
others that can sign people up directly to make sure that we have a more equitable. But the early stages of this rollout were all about just speed. And, uh, you know, that speed doesn't cut it. When you when you go for speed, you're going to get people who have better access to the Internet, uh, better access to the hospitals. And obviously, this is not the way to build an equitable uh, rollout. But is it was it originally based on speed? Because it seems to me that I've heard stories, you know, on local networks and on some other uh, cable networks about senior citizens in Palm Beach driving down to go to Jackson Memorial to get vaccinated. People skipping the line, um, leaving their counties to come to Miami-Dade. And I've also heard some disturbing stories about wealthy people being able to jump the line ahead of even people who are in nursing homes. So is this a case where in Florida you can buy the vaccine easier than you can get it if you are poor or underserved? Yeah, I can only tell you, Joy, that at the county sites, nothing like that was going on. Uh, You know, we had a small portion of the vaccine. It was highly, highly, uh, you know, regulated to be fair. Uh, Now there's rules, only Florida residents. We had also vaccine tourism going on, people promoting it in foreign countries to fly in for a special package uh, before we were allowed to ask for residency. So now we're looking at do people yeah. actually live in Florida, and that is an important part of the equation, too. And let me go to you, um, to, to the doctor here, Dr. Ashby. Just as a clinician, how severe is this, the, let's just be honest, the screw-up in the state of Florida? And who do you think is false? So, uh, hello, Joy. And uh, as a proud Florida boy, uh, it's an honor to be on here with Uncle Luke, uh, who I grew up on. Uh, dancing at the pack jam. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. But listen, um, the entire pandemic from start to finish has been mishandled. And Governor DeSantis has shown a clear uh, pattern of choosing uh, uh, the, the biz- big business and profits over people's lives. And uh, Mayor Kava mentioned the uh, issue of vaccine tourism. I mean, that was uh, incredibly um, uh, disrespectful to the uh, Floridians that live here because you had tourists actually coming here, skipping the line uh, above uh, before um, actual Floridians. And so that issue, uh, amongst others, uh, indicates a pattern where our leaders were choosing profits over the people. And basically, you know, this is a time for us to have a fundamental reckoning with the healthcare system in our country where we need to understand that folks who are marginalized, folks who are dying at the highest rates need to get resources allocated to them. And, you know, we, we talk about Black Lives Matter in the context of criminal justice. But if folks only knew what goes on in, in the healthcare system, they, they will understand that black lives don't matter in the healthcare system. And that needs to change. You know, and, and Uncle Luke, thanks so, for, so much for being on, um, Luke, eh, because you know, we're hearing stories out here outside of Florida. And as somebody who lived there for 14 years, it's alarming to me because I hear from friends of mine that, you know, the, the vaccine is being targeted to places like Palm Beach, where the former president lives, where a lot of wealthy former New Yorkers have moved. It's being targeted toward rich counties that are very white counties. And that the governor is basically using the vaccine as sort of political patronage. What are you hearing on the ground and what concerns you the most? What, what concerns me the most is just like I say, it's, it's a failed system. They had no plan in place. They, uh, I mean, when you have, uh, commissioners and you have, uh, mayors and you have the, the, the governor, just let's do, let's use publics, for example, uh, what you just rolled out. There's no publics in the black community. 
So when you roll out a plan, you have no intentions of of, of targeting African-Americans. And if there's any kind of rollout in, in Miami-Dade County, you can't have 2% of, of African-Americans in Opelika, Florida, getting not uh, being vaccinated when you have over 51% of, of, of whites in, in, in Star Island and Fisher Island getting the vaccination. It, it is it is a overall problem. You know, if the if the governor gives Miami-Dade County 100 vaccines, what do you do with them? What do you make sure you do with them? You go into the hardest hit areas. You don't go and put out a fire. You don't go put out a fire and put water around the fire. You go directly to the fire. And where is the most hardest hit people? Our people, our seniors. These elected officials, they can get on, they can get on the phone and do robocalls to our seniors. These elected officials, they know exactly where to find out seniors at when it's time to get when, when it's time to get them to vote. But then at the, all of a sudden, nobody can find the seniors, which is which is a travesty right now that's going on in Miami. And it's everybody. It's Miami, the state of Florida. And there, there are systems that work. Nobody wants to hear the system. In Maryland, there's a system called MyVax. They're using it. It works great. In St. Louis, St. Louis is using MyVax. It works. I mean, the, the problem is, is that government just don't want to come together and everybody don't want to face the facts that they just screwed it up. And, you know, Madam Mayor, it's a good question. You know, if, if, if there's a limited number of vaccines that are given out, why aren't those vaccines being targeted directly through black churches to senior right, citizens? Right. I could name probably half a dozen of them sure. in Miami-Dade County sure. alone. So actually, the state has started doing that as well as Jackson. Uh, that was not how it started. And we have to make up for lost time. I mean, clearly, this was was done in a way that was not conscious of the, the needs for equity, but we, we, that's what we need to do. And uh, that is, in fact, what is happening. And we're working through nonprofit organizations. We're working through the churches. Uh, and we're, we added the telephone. Everybody's got the telephone now, so you don't have to rely on the computer. But, but uh, really, we've, we started in Miami-Dade County with our public housing senior residents. Uh, we have a mobile service. We went to them. These are people that were not going online or making calls. These are the most vulnerable, the poor right. uh, residents of Miami-Dade County that were under our supervision. So it, with the it, limited supply we have, we, we prioritize them. Sure. Is that is that the way you've seen it, Dr. Ashby? Is that how it felt, feels to you? Well, I can actually attest to that. Um, it, it, in my, my practice in particular, my black patients, the only ones that actually got the vaccines were through the church. Because if you called Jackson, if you call any of the hotlines, uh, they could not get through at all. And so, you know, we have to get yeah. past the fact that there's vaccine hes hesitancy. And once I have to educate them and they're willing to get the vaccine, then we, we deal with the issue of access. And th that's a real travesty. But um, I, I appreciate Mayor Calva for targeting those populations and, and, and getting the vaccine mm -hmm. to them. But we have to do better. We, 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 we have to go. Uh, uh, Uncle Luke, could you please call the governor? He does talk to famous people, even if they're uh, people of color. So hopefully give him a call. Maybe he'll take your call since you're a famous person. Uh, Miami-Dade Mayor Ma no. Daniela Levine-Cava, <laughs> he won't take your call. Dr. Bernard Ashby, Luther Campbell, thank you all. Appreciate you all. Up next, adults who actually believe in science are finally back in charge of America's climate response. The first White House National Climate Advisor ever, Gina McCarthy, Joins us next.
Today uh, is Climate Day at the White House, and uh, which means that today is Jobs Day at the White House. In my view, we've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. That's why I'm signing today an ex executive order to supercharge our administration's ambitious plan to confront the existential threat of climate change. It is an existential threat. Today, President Joe Biden signed multiple actions as part of his plan to combat climate change, a plan that he pitched Eisenhower or FDR style, try, tying it directly to the goal of creating new jobs. The actions include elevating climate change to a national security priority, suspending new leases for natural gas and oil development on federal lands and water, and directing the government to rely on science. Think about that in their decision making. It's a 180 degree turn from the science denying previous administration, which rolled back more than 100 environmental protections directly damaging the planet. And joining me now is Gina McCarthy, White House National Climate Advisor and former EPA Administrator. Congratulations on your new job. It's very important for the planet. You know, I always feel like if aliens ever really exist and they come and attack us, it's going to be because we destroyed the planet. That'll be our punishment, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, talk about where we're starting. How much damage was done to the planet over the last four years? Oh, it's been, it's changing the way in which we live and we have to protect ourselves. We can all see it. It's very easy to see from the hurricanes and the forest fires. But it doesn't mean we stop there and say, well, it, there's damage happening, let's give it up. I mean, this is about recognizing that climate change is the uh, existential challenge. It is the public health challenge of our time. And right now, people are hurting so desperately from COVID-19, from all the economic devastation that that's brought to us. And it's also all about look at who's getting hurt the most. So we have an opportunity here on climate if we start acting today, which is what that executive order was about, bringing the whole of the federal government to the table to say we are going to do better. We are going to build back better. We're going to invest in infrastructure that's going to grow jobs. We're going to build a, a civilian climate, um, what did we call it, civilian climate core, so that we can move and get youth, youth out into our communities, making sure we're adapting and being resilient and making sure that our forests are managed and trying to cut back on those forest fires. We are going to invest real money in environmental justice communities because if you're a person who's been looking at at managing pollution and cutting it all her life, you would see who's most at risk. And it's the same communities that are at risk of COVID-19 and now in the crosshairs of climate change. It's the marginalized, disinvested in, overburdened communities that have been systemically damaged by racism. And this is our moment, Joy. This is our moment to bring all yeah. those crises together and actually tackle it at the depth and breadth that science is telling us. Well, and, you know, you look at the list of things that were included in this uh, in this action today, you know, directing federal land and government to conserve at least 30 percent of federal land, suspending new leases for natural gas and oil, directing federal agencies to rely on science, mm -hmm. et cetera. It sounds a lot like the Green New Deal. Our own Jeff Bennett, our report today, <laughs> he, he, he noted that, you know, it's not the Green New Deal in name. But, you know, those like AOC who've been pushing for that because they've always said, look, make it about jobs, make it about employing people and finding people who did, you know, dug for coal and saying, we'll switch you over and do these great new, great paying jobs. Isn't this essentially kind of the next step uh, of the Green New Deal? Well, they, they both share an essential truth 
They both focus on the science. They both look at the reality of the climate threat. And they both then turn and say, how do we turn this in, into an opportunity to build the kind of future we want to hand to our children? So there is definitely a yeah. commonality. And the great thing about uh, President Biden was during his campaign, he brought unity task forces together. I was on one with AOC. And we worked together to find common ground. And that's what he's asking this country to do now. Let's think big. Let's be bold. Yeah. Let's not think about the past. Let's think about the future. Let's be hopeful again. And for crying out loud, respect the science. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen these ads where the Keystone XL people are trying to sort of glom onto you all and they're using Build Back Better as their slogan, too. Do you expect a fight from companies like them or is there some way that you're going to try to incorporate them? Well, I think that the real trick here is to recognize that we are in a transition, but we really don't want to leave workers behind. The whole idea is to grow jobs in, in communities where people need them and to grow clean energy jobs that are, that are both good paying and union access jobs so that we can bring everybody around. It's not just the environmental justice communities or the urban areas that we're thinking about. It's really about all all those those communities that are experiencing difficulties with the shift already from clean energy. And so we need to make sure that there's a place for them. There's a job for them. And if you look in this, we don't just do a, a core of uh, program for young people. We look at putting minors and others who may, whose jobs may not any longer be there now because of shifts by nature. Clean energy is great for us. It's cheaper, so it's shifting. But they need a place to go. And we're looking at opportunities for them in, in oil and gas fields to close the, the mines that have been left behind, to close the sure. wells that were never yeah. closed. They're spewing pollution all yep. the time. Use the skill sets. Keep yeah. them at home. Have their identity intact. Well, well I wish... I wish we had lots more time. Gina McCarthy, you're great. Uh, I endorse that cool Rachel Maddow-style haircut that you got there, too. Thank you so much for being here. Congrats on the new gig. That is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.